at a 3% inflation rate using the rule 72. I think it's every 24 years prices double. And that's typically an average retirement is around 24 years now. So your prices could double based off of your first year retirement to when you potentially pass away. Welcome to the Perfect Game Retirement Podcast with former professional baseball player and now financial coach at Black Oak Asset Management, Ryan Ledman. This show will help you make the right financial decisions so you can pitch a perfect game in retirement. Here's the windup and the delivery. Welcome into Perfect Game Retirement. I'm Ben George. He's Ryan Ledden, President and Financial Coach at Black Oak Asset Management. Ryan, have you ever been to London before? Negative. I you want to, but I have not. I have not been across the big pond. That's about the only, I shouldn't say only, I haven't been to that area of the world. I've been to Mexico, Canada, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, I would highly recommend it. I've been a couple times. It's a lot of fun. I think you'd really, I don't know if you're a big soccer fan, but I think you'd really get a, you'd really enjoy going to one of those, uh, one of the games over there, Premier League, and just enjoying that. But I ask you that because today's conversation is all about minding the gap. And if you're over there, if you ever ride, their tube, their subway, mm-hmm. you're going to see signs that say, mind the gap. It's like what they're famous for. You know, you're going to see like a bunch of like tourists, like uh, trinkets and shirts and stuff that say mind the gap. But when it comes mm-hmm. to financial planning, there are a lot of gaps, I think, that we find in planning that we want to kind of talk through today and kind of point out and make sure people are aware, hey, these are some spots where people get into trouble in their planning. And we're going to talk about ways in order to close those gaps. So I'll plead a little bit of ignorance though. Is it, is it because like the train doesn't come in and like bump up right against the platform? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's the same thing you'd see riding the subway in New York, right? I mean, there's going to be a gap there, but they just have the signs posted everywhere just, I guess, for your safety. So that's the whole idea, but that's what we'll do today on the show. And we're gonna have a mailbag question as well. So we got plenty of things to talk about and and I look forward to the conversation. We're going to put it up as we always do at blackoakam.com. That is Ryan's website where you can get in touch with him. You can schedule your retirement coach 360 session now as well. And there's a lot of other resources there, plus information on his webinars, seminars, workshops, everything that he does, uh, along with this podcast to help educate and inform people in the community. So Ryan, let's jump into it today. Um, I'm going to save a couple of things for a little bit later, get a little getting to know you in the mailbag, but I want us to get into our conversation on uh, this, these gaps we find in retirement. And I want to start off with the paycheck gap because this is the first one that you know about. Everyone's aware of, hey, the paycheck stops coming in. I don't have that income coming in all the time. Sure, I might have social security to rely on, maybe a pension if I'm lucky, but how are you filling that gap when that paycheck's no longer coming in? Yeah, that's, and some people, even though sometimes it's just adding and subtracting essentially, um, whether whether it's budgeting while we're working or what our income is going to be in retirement. Sometimes it's not as easy as adding and subtracting because there's a lot of what ifs, there's a lot of unknowns. And especially as we get older, uh, you obviously have, and you mentioned it, no consistent paycheck from a, from an earning standpoint, uh, which they kind of refer to as sweaty money. Sweaty money means you go out and earn it and do it and <laughs> collect that paycheck. Now, again, if you have a pension, awesome, more power to you. There's just not many outside of government there's not many private sector pensions. And if they are uh, private sector pensions, a lot of them don't have cost of living adjustments in there. Uh, but if you do have cost of living adjustments, even better. Mostly that's going to fall on uh, government type employees, but we have several clients that have private sector uh, uh, pensions and it's flat. So, which means your, your paycheck's going to be less, even though it's the same, it's going to be less because we've seen prices go up. We see healthcare costs go up so that you have to pay attention to that. So, 
inflation, that's obviously a hot button topic that's been out in the news. Where is inflation going? Is this just a short term thing? Is it just logistics that are causing uh, supply and demand curves to be off? Uh, we don't know. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully, as these unemployment benefits are starting or have started to go away, you start to see jobless claims uh, decrease, uh, which is good. And hopefully that means more and more people are going back to work, which will hopefully help supply chain, which hopefully helps inflation. So there's so many trickle down effects of this stuff. But when it comes to your paycheck in retirement, obviously most people have social security. And if you're married, then you'll have to two social security incomes, whether you worked at all or not, you could have a spousal benefit or just claim on your own benefit. So you have that, which supplies, a, a for most people, it supplies a large chunk of their income in retirement. And that's another headline that's been in the news that because of COVID and because of the strains that it has put on the coffers, if you will, of Social Security and Medicare, that the, the 2034 year of benefits being reduced has now gone down an entire year uh, down to 2033. Now, again, that's just a projection. What What is that going to mean when we get closer to 2033? Is our benefits going to be cut by 75%? Well, that's what the statements say. But the Social Security Administration, and I've kind of dug my heels on this, I think they will change and modify um, Social Security, whether it's a taxation thing or kick back the, uh, the full retirement age. But there is a bill being tossed around right now or written, written, if you will, on a proposal to help fund that welfare payment, essentially. And that's what it is. So Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, and it's a transfer payment. So we tax those who are working and pay those who are, are not, who have, who have paid into the system. But that's going to be another huge government spending bill potentially, or it's going to come from taxation from us as uh, working individuals. So Social Security is huge. If you have a pension, great. And then that shortfall has got to come from your savings. It's going to have to come, from, it's going to have to bridge that gap. And depending on how you have saved over your lifetime, whether it's pre-tax, post-tax, um, taxable accounts, depending on how you're structured is going to depend on how much income you need. Because we, we've talked about this since the inception of this podcast, you know, the more tax efficient money you have, probably the less you're going to need because it's tax-free money and you're not having to pay Uncle Sam a cut of that money. But if you have mostly pre-tax accounts, Uncle Sam is your first beneficiary. I don't care what your beneficiary forms say, they're going to be the first ones that get their cut uh, when you do take money out of that account. So bridging that gap, do you need a full paycheck of what you are when you're in retirement versus working? Probably not because you're not paying into Social Security anymore. You're not paying into your 401k. Uh, you may not be paying health insurance anymore uh, because you're going to receive Medicare. So there's things that will just naturally cut your income, but really putting pen to paper, if you will, or income plans that, that softwares that most advisors have is really painting that picture for them on what that income looks like and how long that money could potentially last and continually updating those those figures so we don't have a, a, a uh-oh moment you know 15 years down the road we got to go back to work yeah definitely it's not a position you want to be in at all and, and you talk a little about social security and I, and I think that kind of carries us into the next gap and 
Yeah, the gap with Social Security is really when you're look, thinking about retiring a little bit earlier, right? Earlier than the age of 65, maybe you say, you know, or before 62 even, like you want to get out of there a little bit early, but you have to fill that gap between the time you retire and that time that you can actually start claiming your benefits. And also you can kind of roll that into Medicare as well. Yeah, what are you going to do with both Social Security and with your health insurance to cover yourself in those two, three, four, five years before you can start claiming those benefits? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's probably the biggest uh, head scratcher for people who want to retire, quote unquote, early. That early definition is different for everyone. But if you are uh, retiring before 62, and I throw that age 62 out because most of us know that's the first age that you can claim your social security benefit, it will be at a reduced amount. Um, depending on when you were born, it's going to be reduced between 25 and 30% of your FRA, which is your full retirement age. And as we, as uh, the population gets older and older, that, that full retirement age is, is easing more towards age 67. There's still a few people who are getting to that retirement age that are less than 67. But so that's a five-year potential gap between 62 when you can first claim it and 67 when your full benefit kicks in as far as your statements go. Some people can't wait that long, but how do you bridge that gap if you retire at 60 and 62 is the first time you can claim it? Well, again, it's got to come from your investments. It's got to come from somewhere else. Maybe you do have a pension and it allows you to retire before then. So most of the time there is income coming in from somewhere to give people that option of retiring before age 62. And again, maybe you were a super saver and you got a ton of cash to be able to to do that. Most people don't. Uh, but again, it's mostly from pensions and then it's a decision game. Okay. At 62, when do I claim it? Do I keep kicking the can down the road? And and continue to get delayed credits. Um, again, are you married? There's so many, there's like, I think over 400 different combinations of ways to claim social security at different ages when you are uh, married and you have a spouse. So, so many different nuances there that you have to just weigh your options. And it's a calculated um, answer. It's a calculated guess, I should say, because we don't know how long we're going to live. Uh, and, and obviously you factor in health and you know, what your income needs are and, you know, your spousal benefit. If you do delay your credit, uh, when you claim social security, then if you were to pass the higher amount passes on to your spouse. So that's something you need to factor in as well. But you mentioned Medicare. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the biggest question mark that people have if they retire before age 65. And if they're no longer on their health insurance through their employer. Now, some people who do work for government agencies, they keep their health insurance and they continue on out, which is great. That's awesome. Good for them. But most people don't have that. As soon as you retire, that's it. Uh, you're on your own. So you may have to get a outside policy, but you need to factor that in. Okay. If you're okay with paying, again, I'm just throwing a number out there, a thousand bucks a month in, in health insurance premiums. Well, that needs to be factored into your income plan. And if it doesn't, if you don't account for it, that could be a problem. But if you do account for it, yeah, that's expensive, but it's not forever. It's not forever. So Medicare is eventually going to kick in and take the brunt of that. But then you have, to, then, then Medicare is its own animal on how to, what to claim, what to, what parts to take. Do you do Medicare supplement, Medicare advantage? I mean, there's so many different nuances there that Hopefully you have a specialist to, to go to to talk about that. But yeah, a lot of things to, med, to, to bridge that gap between early retirement and 65 or 62. Well, all these gaps are, are I think are important to point out. And, and 
we're doing it because you know you might not be aware of them, but I think one that most people aren't thinking about is the inflation gap. And what we mean is, you know, you got these income streams coming in, but as inflation increases, and this is something we're talking about more and more in 2021 and, and kind of moving forward, sure, you might be getting a cost of living adjustment in some areas like social security, but oftentimes that that adjustment's just not going to keep up with the rate of inflation. And then pensions, who knows that they have an adjustment or not. So your buying power is at risk to decreasing without you even doing anything. That's right. And, and safe money just isn't paying anything. So it's it's <laughs> you're, you're getting it from both ends here. Uh, and then some people may try to take on too much risk with their money just to try to keep up with inflation. And then that puts you at risk and exposed to a pullback uh, from the market because nothing's more detrimental than a retirement income plan is if you, you know, you, you lose that 20 to 30 to 40 percent that first year or two when you're taking money out. Uh, that can be I mean, hugely detrimental to your retirement plan. But you're right. Social Security doesn't guarantee a cost of living adjustment each year. Uh, it usually does. There was a few years not too long ago that they didn't get anything. Uh, but now they're even talking about this year, it could be as high as 6.4% for next year. They haven't had one of those increases since the early 80s when inflation was out of control. So there's these little signs everywhere that go, okay, it looks like inflation's rearing its ugly head again, because it hasn't for a long period of time. It's it's hovering around 2%. Now, since they've really been measuring inflation, it's right at three, a little bit over, but there's years where it's way higher and some not at all. So you want some inflation. A little bit of inflation is great, but when it starts getting, you know, above that four to five percent mark, then it starts to to really impede on people's um, uh, spending power. So, but yeah, if, if Social Security gets a six point four percent increase, that's going to put even more strain on the Social Security. But they do have a formula that is based off of uh, consumer price index, but they throw out a few things. So it's like, okay, what is this actually based on? Um, so it's not exactly what consumer price index, but they do factor in a lot of uh, household goods. And then they give, they announce usually October, November is when they announce it each year, what the cost of living increase for the next year. Problem is Medicare eats up a lot of that increase because Medicare is under immense uh, pressure as well. So it's it they put they put more money in your right pocket and they just take it out and of your left pocket. So it's not not necessarily more uh, more for you. Uh, it's it's usually more for just going to to Medicare. So, but yeah, and pensions like again, I've used my dad before as an example. He he's got a pension and there there hasn't been a cost of living adjustment for a long period of time. So to make up for that lack of spending power, you got to take more uh, out of your investments. And if you don't account for that. You know, twenty what, at a three percent inflation rate using the rule of seventy-two. I think it's every twenty-four years prices double, and that's typically an average retirement is around twenty-four years now. So your prices could double based off of your first year of retirement to when you potentially pass away. Yeah, think about that and make sure you you know, you have that gap covered. You know, it, let's say you've done these first three things pretty well, and retirement's moving right along, humming pretty well, pretty. Pretty, pretty, everything's pretty comfortable, pretty happy with things. But suddenly you have to get nursing home care. This long-term care gap is something that can add up quickly. I mean, $90,000 a year, uh, maybe $120,000 a year to pay for care. I mean, the, the expenses are very, very significant. Do you find many people are prepared to fill that gap? 
this is probably the one that people lack the most from a planning standpoint. We all know it's there. It, it's it's more relevant than most of these. Now, all, all of these that we've talked about are going to be things that needs to be addressed. It's the long-term care one that sometimes you may not need, uh, but there's a pretty good chance that at least if you're a married couple and you're in your 60s, there's a really good chance that one of you will end up using some type of care no matter how healthy uh, you may be. So it's one of those ones that, you know, as humans, we feel invincible that we'll never need help or anything like that. And so it's not addressed and, and that's not a solution. Uh, it needs to be addressed. And, and that doesn't mean every time people mention long-term care, they think long-term care insurance. That's maybe not necessarily the case either. Yeah. But long-term care policy could be the solution. It's going to cost you. It's not cheap, but Insurance companies have gotten creative and now they have life insurance plans that are kind of a hybrid that, okay, if you don't use it, there's a death benefit. So at least that somebody can use it. They're not like cheapest term policy. So don't, you know, you're going to pay for that as well because there's a double benefit from a death benefit and a care. Uh, if you need some type of care, annuities, same thing. They've had uh, some bells and whistles added on there that can help pay if you need some type of care. So there's things that need to be, it's, it needs to be discussed and talked about. If you think you're quote unquote self-insured, great. You got to have a lot of stinking money if you're self-insured um, and, and it not really dig into your principal, if you will, that creates that income or to potentially be passed on. Now, some people don't want to leave a legacy and that's okay. That's a personal opinion. Most people do, but some people don't want to, and maybe self-insuring and, and spending every last dime that you have on care seems to me, from a big picture standpoint, seems kind of a waste. You've done this great work your whole life and saving, and then four or five years in a nursing home, that can just bleed that out. Uh, that would be very, very unfortunate to me. So not addressing it, putting your head in the sand is not a solution, but again, it's not always just purchasing a long-term care policy. It needs to be talked about and discussed. I got one more gap I want to discuss that I think people aren't preparing for and, and can't blame you. You don't want to think about it, but the loss of a spouse creates what we want to call here a widow's gap. And you know that, that income that you lose from not having your spouse around is can be you know very tough to deal with both emotionally and financially, especially when you think about, I guess, the social security benefits, right, Ryan? Even the, even the pensions right. maybe decrease as well, but that income there, it's tough to make that up. No doubt. And I've seen it firsthand um, where this is not thought about or planned out. It's, oh, I just want to get my Social Security while it's still around. Well, that's probably not the best reason why to claim Social Security at certain ages. But yeah, when one spouse passes away, you can't keep both benefits. Now, the silver lining is you keep the higher of the two, which is great. So that's where maybe one person delaying as long as possible may be the right way to go. But you lose the smaller of the two, you keep the larger of the two benefits. And some people don't, when they claim their pension back in their 50s or early 60s, sometimes they forget the option that they picked. And it may have been, you know, 100% joint and survivor, which means whatever pension amount you get and you pass away, it carries 100% on to your spouse. So you take a, a, a reduction on a monthly basis, but you know it carries on with your spouse. Uh, some people don't realize they pick, you know, 75% or 50% or 
a certain period, a period certain is what they call it. So, it, you know, if you pass away after year one, it, it guarantees for 10 years and then stops. So a lot of this stuff is not, um, it's thought about, but not thoroughly thought about on what things could go away to the widow who's left behind. So I've seen income greatly decrease because of this, because of not thoughtful planning on, okay, what does this look like at 85 or 95 for my spouse? So there's a lot of things that, and there's stats out there, and I don't want to quote any stats and figures, but widows who are left behind usually reach poverty level pretty darn quick because maybe one spouse spent down their assets because they were self-insured and they want you know they needed long-term care because you know physically they were fine but mental illness um, it just took a long time for them to pass and so they drained a lot of those assets social security incomes cut pension is cut so not only are those things gone away assets potentially depleted but then depending on what kind of income you are receiving you're a single filer now and you usually jump up in tax brackets. So, I mean, you just, <laughs> I'm not like saying this is doomsday, but if this is not thought about and planned out, you, you realize that your income has gone down, but yet your tax rate has gone up. It just, it, it doesn't make sense. And so it's sticker shock to, to a lot of people. So widows, if it's not planned out, really, really um, take a hit when it comes to their finances. Well, all these things we want you to be thinking about and working with your financial coach, if it's Ryan or whoever your advisor is to kind of go through these things. Make sure you have a plan to cover these gaps because they could create major issues within your retirement. If you want to schedule your three, uh, Retirement Coach 360 session online, you can do so now. Blackoakam.com is the website. If you want to talk any more about these gaps, want any more details, any more explanation, please reach out to Ryan there or over the phone, 470-508-0508. Every week we try to take a mailbag question as well, so send them in to us via the website. This week we have one from Christopher, who is in Canton. He says, I'll be turning 70 at the beginning of next year, and I'm annoyed that I'll have to start taking money out of my IRA because I won't even need it. I'm sure you have some tips for circumventing this rule. What are they? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't get around that. Um, <laughs> Christopher, good news is uh, it, it did recently change. Uh, so it is now 72. So it's no longer 70 and a half. So 72 years of age. So you do have a couple more years, uh, Christopher, to to delay that, which means you have two years of, and potentially three years um, of planning around not avoiding taxes, uh, but maybe changing your structure of how your money is taxed. And that's through Roth conversions potentially. So if you have a large IRA that's mostly pre-tax, you're, you're going to have to pay required minimum distributions. And again, that starts at age 72. However, you can delay it and take that required minimum distribution April 1st of the year after you turn 72. The downside of that is you got to take two that year because you have to take one that was supposed to be for that that year as well. So you can take one at the beginning of a year, and then you still have to take the other one uh, for that year. So you can delay it three more years if you want to, but sliding that money over and, and work with a CPA and, uh, and an advisor on how much you should convert from a taxation standpoint, because it does affect your social security benefit from a taxation uh, standpoint, what tax bracket you're in, how much federal, how much state. So there, there are some nuances there, but the, you know, you have time. So I would do some planning around that. But yeah, I run into this a lot where people don't need 
that required minimum distributions. I, I'm sorry, you, you have to take it. And it's based off of a, a mathematical formula. It's based off of the account balance on 1231 of the year before you turn 72, and it's multiplied by a factor. And that's where the required minimum distribution is based off of. Now, the federal government does not care what you do with that money. Uh, you have to take it out and pay the tax on it because they have not received their tax revenue. So it's like, okay, they, you know, pay up now, Christopher. You hadn't done it in your whole life. Go ahead and pay up now. Now, once you take that money, again, you can't put it back in an IRA anywhere. If you don't have earned income, you can't put it in a Roth. You have to physically take that money out. However, you can put it in an investment account if you want to. So if your required minimum distribution is $30,000 and you know you take home $22,000 because you want federal and state taken out, well, that $22,000, they don't care what you do with it. So if you want to reinvest that into a, an investment account or a brokerage account, then by all means, do that. Uh, you can do that. That's that's totally up to you. Or again, put it in your savings account. Do whatever you want. They just You have to take it out and that percentage changes each year. So that's why Roth conversions is great because once you move that money to a Roth, you're off the hook of the IRS. You never have to pay a required minimum distribution again once that money is in a Roth. So uh, again, work with your advisor or CPA and they can they can lead you down that path. Appreciate that question. And yeah, again, can't circumvent the rule, but there are tax planning strategies that are out there that exist that can help you out with that. But thanks for Christopher. And you're not alone in that that question at all. So I'm glad you sent it in. If you have a question for us, blackoakam.com is the website. You can also schedule your retirement coach 360 session online now, and you can get your retirement rescue toolkit just by visiting the website. Uh, before we get out of here, Ryan, today, I want to hit you with a little getting to know you question. I don't know how much TV you watch now. I know we, we have streaming services. We don't have the traditional sit down and watch our cable programming on a Thursday night, right? That we used to have mm -hmm. before. But is there a TV show that you're looking forward to returning this fall? Uh, outside of college football. Um, <laughs> yeah, there is, yeah <laughs> there is one show. Um, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to like treasure hunting, but I think I mentioned on here before, Curse of Oak Island. I love that show. It, okay. and, and they never hardly progress. They do slowly and <laughs> incrementally, but like my wife makes fun of me. She's like, oh, maybe they'll find the treasure in this next episode because <laughs> it's like the previews. I mean, they just hook, line, and sink you. But I mean, that show's been on for like, I think it's like nine or 10 seasons now. It's crazy how long it's been on, but like they do, they, they progress. It's very slowly, but they progress. And at, you know, it's the little kid in me. You do wants to find a treasure, I guess, or something, but I love it. I love history. And so that, that show. And I just saw the other day, um, on the history channel, cause that's the channel it's on. I saw it had a preview for it. It didn't say when it just said coming soon, but it showed some clips and I was like, Oh, I'm hooked already. I can't wait for it to, to come back on. So curse of Oak Island, that's my show. Is that a reality show or is that fiction? Um, oh, bless. What do they say what, down here in the South? Bless your heart. Um, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know what that show. So I don't, it's, know, I don't know about it. I did Google it, and the first thing that came up was, "Does the Oak Island treasure get found?" <laughs> yeah. So it's. I mean, there there's so many, and it goes back to. I mean, they're tying in Freemasons to this. They're tying in the Crusades, um, it, but they're they're trying. There's this huge supposed buried treasure. They think it could be the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, there's so many huh. different things. But from a historical perspective, I mean, I can't imagine the amount of money that these people have sunk into this show. So it's two brothers, and they have another um, a partner, and I think he's kind. Of, I think he's the big money backer of the whole thing, but. 
I mean, the amount of money that they've hemorrhaged into this, but they have they have come so far. I mean, they'll they'll take evidence to all these um, scientists. I mean, they'll go to Europe and trace steps back. I mean, it's it's crazy the stuff that they find on there. So something went on on the island. Whether there's this huge giant buried treasure like you see on National Treasure, the movie, I don't know. But there's absolutely 100% historical evidence that there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, and, and some of the history predates a lot of what's in historical records. And uh, so anyway, it's just, it's fascinating to me from a historical perspective. If they find a treasure, great. I kind of hope they don't uh, in some regards, but just find a bunch of stuff and then just never see the show again. But uh, it's, it's, it definitely has my attention. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. I hadn't really paid much attention to it. Uh, there's just so much out there. It's hard <laughs> know, to right? <laughs> narrow in on something, but that's cool. I'll have to check it out sometime. All right, Ryan, let's close it out on that note. Uh, hopefully you will mind the gap in your retirement. And if you have any questions, again, blackoakam.com will cover you. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen. We'll have another episode coming in a couple of weeks. So Ryan, we'll talk to you then. Absolutely. Main point of the show, have a plan. The Perfect Game Retirement Podcast is brought to you by Black Oak Asset Management, serving the greater Atlanta area with offices in Alpharetta, Cartersville, and Macon. The show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show on your favorite app today and never miss an episode. Just search for Perfect Game Retirement to find us. You can also visit blackoakam.com to listen to past episodes, to contact Ryan Ledden, and to learn more about how to pitch a perfect game in retirement. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Please consult with a qualified professional before taking any action. Securities and registered investment advisory services offered through Silver Oak Securities, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Black Oak Asset Management and Silver Oak Securities, Inc. are not affiliated.